0: Welcome to an out-of-band edition of Adventures of Alice and Bob. After our last out-of-band podcast on the OctaBreach, we had a lot of great feedback and requests for us to dissect more breaches, dive into more security threats that often keep our audience awake at night. So join us today as we go beyond the breach and discuss lessons learned from Midnight Blizzard and other recent identity attacks. I'm James Moore, Director of Research here at BeyondTrust, and I'm delighted to be joined today by my podcast co-host and colleague Mark Mayfrey, CTO of BeyondTrust, and more importantly, a man who is also deeply passionate about identity security. Mark, how are you doing today?
1: I am fantastic. That was that was a good intro. I thought you were going to meme me or something with the setup there, dude. It was it was all serious and here for business, dude. I like it.
0: Oh, that's very nice. I mean, you, a bit of a glow to you today. You're looking good. Have you been working out recently? <laughs>
1: possible bro it's possible it's a little inside joke here everybody else is like what are these guys talking about they probably want us talking about some interesting identity security stuff or in some ways is it really identity security or is it tax on privilege i mean that's maybe part of what we'll get into
0: well with only 30 minutes to cover this session today we better dive straight in with midnight blizzard which has hit the headlines with their attacks against microsoft and hp as well obviously not all the details of these attacks have been made public yet But from Microsoft, at least, we've got a pretty good idea of actually what went down. And ultimately, the threat actor, Microsoft referred to them as Midnight Blizzard. CrowdStrike called them Cozy Bear. I tend to call them APT29. But they managed to get into the mailboxes of some quite senior folks at Microsoft. And I think what really stands out for me, Mark, about this attack is the attack began in a test environment in Azure. So maybe you could give us a little bit of a rundown in how an attacker went from a test account in that environment to the mailboxes of some senior leaders.
1: Yeah, so there was many kind of techniques that unfolded. So we'll kind of go through a few, a few at a high level, but maybe worth us kind of expanding on, I think, some of the the maybe more interesting ones. Um, but but in some sense, it just kind of started with uh, uh, what one might consider kind of a, a straightforward uh, password spray attack. Um, obviously, this is probably a type of attack that uh, m- many folks have kind of uh, uh, heard about before, uh, but it's a great example of... Uh, Although it might be a a straightforward attack to be thinking about in terms of defending and finding all the areas where you might have the weakness, it can be difficult, right? And so part part of the challenge there on this password spray attack is they eventually found an account that had no MFA on it, right? Uh, And so that was their kind of single shot initial uh, access. I think the part that will probably be interesting to explore is that they ended up uh, leveraging uh, OAuth apps to be able to essentially grant themselves uh, privileged access within a tenant uh eventually creating uh an actual privileged account itself uh they actually uh added oauth uh permissions to then uh have access to mailboxes and so on and so forth and and what it mean by so on and so forth is that at at some sense it's like the same kind of physics uh of attacks that existed for quite some time right is targeted individual account individual identity that they ended up getting in obviously they were trying against many accounts uh, they ended up getting into that single account and then essentially being able to manage uh, privilege and mismanaged privileges I guess you could put it that way uh, they were able to kind of do lateral movement in the environment but I, I think typically when we talk in terms of something like lateral movement um, a lot of folks are maybe more aware of kind of what's able to happen from like a on-prem traditional active directory uh, type of environment the the moment you talk about things like OAuth applications within Azure, Azure AD, etc. I I think those are less known and um, probably even more so as as you always kind of remind folks, um, most companies approach this in kind of a siloed way where there might be some team looking for password spray attacks, there might be uh, a different team who's kind of administering your like Azure AD environment. Uh, and all of this kind of coming together for the kind of total picture of security doesn't exist at a lot of companies that kind of unified visibility for this doesn't exist. Uh, whereas for attackers, right, they'll happily kind of move amongst these things, um, and, and leverage a variety of techniques. But anyway, it's probably worth diving into to some of them. I don't know if anything you would add from the, the kind of attack chain that you thought was interesting.
0: It, it was the, the very literal example of attackers thinking in graphs and defenders thinking in lists that they had this account and we, you know, we don't know all the details here, but it was a test environment. So people probably weren't really caring about Seeing password sprays or enabling MFA, thinking that it was just a test environment, and maybe this particular user didn't even raise any flags because they weren't some sort of highly privileged global admin that had access across different tenants or things like that. But because they had the ability to control an OAuth application, and that OAuth application had significant levels of privilege outside of the test tenant that was in into the corporate tenant, then they're able to leverage that path through and you know things like service principles. And these indirect privileges, and like you say, organizations, I think, have gotten pretty used to like thinking of things in A D terms of this user's got, you know, these permissions, these entitlements, these local group memberships, whatever it is, that grants them a certain level of permission. But when things get a bit more abstracted in these hybrid environments as you jump through into the cloud and you know, you can be administrator of an application, that OAuth application can then have its own privileges and service principles, these things become very hard to think about. How would you sort of tell people to think about these challenges and, and change that way of thinking?
1: You know, I, I think with any kind of new problem space and security, v- visibility is always the first thing. I mean, it's in, in the most simple simple way of like, you, you know, you can't protect what you can't see. And uh, th- there's a lot, I think, that is unknown um, to, to many folks working in uh, security. Uh, e- even in areas, you know, t- take a company like us where we're you know, focused on privilege access management, other things related to uh, privileges, you know, there's many, uh, customers that I speak to that are, you know, very aware of, of what you said, right. The, the, the very much defend your domain admin accounts, defend your global admin accounts, defend these kind of high level privileged roles that you know about. Um, but the the moment you start talking about, uh, something like in the, in the realm of machine identity, like an OAuth app, uh, that itself is, uh, overprivileged. And in this case was able to be, uh, used for, for extra access within the environment, um, that's something where I think a lot of the understanding uh, typically falls off and and frankly, it's because there's not many tools out there in the world that kind of give you that unified visibility and understanding to to see these things. and so on the uh, uh, something like the oauth uh, app side um, I think is is very, very interesting because I think most companies aren't aware of of the risk here most companies aren't uh, auditing and kind of paying attention to the different changes that happen related to these applications where they're overprivileged or not um, uh and it's not not just in the case of uh something like in this in this case you know a test account used for kind of dev related purposes and so forth uh, like we we see things where a company will have used uh maybe some third party uh Microsoft you know office three or well Microsoft 365, I'm trying to keep up with all the names, so just just uh, correct me as I butcher them. Uh, it's not Entra 365 yet. That's a, that's a joke, that's a joke. Not yet, not yet. Um, but, you know, with like Microsoft 365, you know, uh, almost every time when uh, when uh, we have customers end up uh, uh, doing a free assessment with our Insights product, you know, to kind of see the state of their identity security, uh, it's always eye-opening where even in non-kind non of directly malicious realms, uh, companies will have done something like maybe a Microsoft 365 uh, mailbox migration project, right? Large company acquires uh, some other company. They go use a third-party SaaS service to then migrate that that company they acquired to kind of migrate all their mailboxes and data over to the new, you know, parent Microsoft 365 environment. That third-party SaaS vendor that they're using to do this migration. Uh, we'll end up behind the scenes, ultimately creating something like a service principle that has very, very high uh, uh, or critical uh, privileges to be able to read, write all data, read, write all mailboxes, etc. And uh, we'll we'll see where something like that is done. And then that service principle is left behind sitting around in, in, uh, in Azure AD or sorry, Entra, Entra. Uh, it's left behind. And um, what what's really uh, interesting with that is is twofold. You know, we obviously see many types of supply supply chain type of attacks, right? So there's always a risk that that third party migration SaaS company themselves gets compromised, and then that access gets used. Uh, at the same time, we've seen where attackers will basically go add uh, an access key to that service principle. It already has all the permissions, so there's no permission change to detect in the environment, right? There's just the existence of an attacker adding their own key to then leverage that service principle to read, write, do everything that they want in a, uh, in an environment. And so there's many flavors, I guess is what I'm trying to highlight. There's many flavors of these kind of OAuth service principle, machine identity related risks and concerns, and and not just for Uh, uh, Microsoft in the way that we're talking about uh, here and, and Entra and stuff, but, but other systems also, that's, you know, worth talking about at some point.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. There's been a, you know, a lot of organizations have really good practices and hygiene around privileged domain accounts within their environment or privileged, you know, cloud uh, accounts, you know, highly privileged entitlements. But when it comes to these machine identities, these OAuth applications, there's often not the same level of rigor and hygiene. There's often not the same auditing for like understanding. So one of the things that when we talk about OAuth apps, people often see in these attack chains where attackers are able to add certificates to an application. Maybe you can explain a little bit because, you know, this is a question that I get asked quite a lot of they're adding certificates, they're adding secrets. What what does this mean in terms of the attack chain and what it allows the attacker to do?
1: Yeah, I would I'd probably in the most kind of, uh, Simplistic terms, you know, think of it as that, you know, you have these accounts that are uh, within Azure, within Entra, um, and uh, th- th- they're not quite the sort of human account that you would maybe think of, right? are things like service principles and others, um, but you have these these accounts uh, typically tied uh, in a lot of cases to some sort of OAuth application maybe that you were using or the attackers setting up in a malicious way um but these accounts uh it's not it's not uh, thinking about it in terms of you know a username password that necessarily gives you access to it right you can essentially add another uh certificate based auth to it to that existing account and so um twofold of how do you kind of go through and understand you know what are all these different accounts that you actually have uh what are all the different access keys that have been generated which ones are valid or not uh, you know, th- there's a lot of things from uh, from an alerting perspective, like uh, that we even key off in our own solutions with insights, right, where if you have a a, a second uh, certificate that's added, or particularly in an anomalous way, right, duplicative to the uh, first, that those, those are all things that kind of cause investigation. Um, but to your other point is just kind of the, the governance side of it, you know, many, many companies have, you know, a, a lot of governance on, you know, machine identities in terms of, uh, you know, does James still need domain admin? I mean, y- you probably never did, but like it's worth double checking, you know, <laughs> but, you know, does James still need, uh, you know, uh, privileged uh, role X, right? And you do your every three month, you know, uh, privileged audit, etc. Uh, varies at different companies, right? But there's some of that kind of kind of I don't know paper policy type governance I think exists in the world, uh, but when you look at some of these other uh, account types, most companies uh, th- that we see are, are simply not aware of the risk here, uh, let alone like doing any sort of like ongoing auditing, whether it's on like you know change control detection and alerting, um, or whether it's on just the kind of governance side of of uh, you know what keys should still be here, what's rotated out. You would think, you know, go back to the example of somebody did a, a Microsoft 365, you know, environment migration, right? You would hope that the SaaS software you use, that at the end of that migration kind of cleans up after themselves. They don't, right? So anybody who kind of uh, is aware with, um, you know, uh, kind of on-prem Active Directory managed, say, uh, managing, say, service accounts, right, uh, knows that managing service accounts and securing them is very important. Obviously, that's a big part of privileged access management is doing that sort of thing. But a lot of people know from kind of the on-prem world, there's software that'll create one-off local privileged accounts, sometimes even Active Directory domain accounts. And so people are kind of aware that you got to look for those things, audit, clean them up, uh, because software, IT folks, other other kind of means will kind of create these things, leave them around, leave them over privileged. Most people aren't aware that all that same sort of stuff happens within Entra, within Okta, within really any of these kind of identity systems, right? Um, and, and I think the, the interesting thing there is that, again, organizationally, you know, for companies at varying levels of maturity of even knowing about these risks and looking for them, they're doing it in a siloed way, right? They're doing it, let me think in terms of Active Directory, let me think in terms of uh, maybe just Okta or Entra. Um, and one of the things that we're you know, huge, huge proponents of obviously is like, how, how do you create that unified view, that unified understanding, right? Of I'm trying to work the kind of core physics of machine accounts that are overprivileged across the wide, wide spectrum of identity infrastructure. How do I get a centralized view into that versus I kind of do it for AD? I might not even know it's a thing I should do for Okta or Azure or so forth, right?
0: Yeah, and speaking of those service accounts and those connections between disp- different systems, you know, we we highlighted the Octo breach on a previous Out of Band podcast that we discovered in October 2023, and that's hit the headlines again recently with Cloudflare disclosing that the attackers used a service account token and credentials for three service accounts that were actually compromised during the OctaBreach breach incident to then go on to access their internal Confluence and Jira systems. And Cloudflare have gone on to detect the issue. They've addressed it. They ended up rotating, I think, over 5,000 production credentials, re-imaging systems, segmenting, staging, and testing systems. And ultimately, the attacker was only able to access some documentation and a limited amount of source code. Still not great, but that's a good example. What makes these service accounts such an attractive target for attackers in attacks like this? And how are they able to chain that together with a breach of one system into another?
1: Yeah, I think, I think I think a lot of it stems from there's too much of the uh, uh, both the kind of threat detection and also call it posture or hygiene, you know, world of things that is very focused on the kind of human side of things. Because because a lot of times when you hear about you know the initial break in and breach, it's you know some employee account somewhere that gave the attacker the initial uh, foothold, right? Um, and so people get very focused on that as they should be. There's a lot you should be doing related to your uh, to your human accounts, right? So I'm not trying to. To underplay that, uh, but but we consistently see that you know leveraging uh, for example uh, an unprivileged uh, human account to eventually go find something like a a service or a machine account that is overprivileged, whether it's an example like this like an Oauth application or maybe some uh, you know machine account or service account that was created in the active directory for some automated scripting reason. I mean the the list goes on right? Um, an API type of uh, account that might have exist uh, in something like Okta, as we kind of saw, uh, like you said, with some of the things related to uh, Cloudflare. And so, so typically folks are thinking in terms of those human accounts, um, attackers are always thinking in terms of always the graph, right? How do I pivot from the one thing to the next to the next? And so you, you need to kind of be able to see across all identities, right? Like you need to be able to have heads-up display that is, these are all the identities in my environment, human, machine, etc., and looking at the configured state of all of them, right? Um, because it, it, it very much does matter in terms of, um, you know, uh, whether the, the example like with Cloudflare, uh, where you can have things that are very much equivalent to what happened, uh, similar but different with Microsoft, where you have uh uh api keys and other things that are added or something like service principles uh, where certs are added and so forth um is very much all um similar sets of problems right that attackers kind of piggyback on
0: yeah i think that what's really interesting with some of these machine accounts in particular and some of the, the techniques that we're seeing being pioneered in the the midnight blizzard thing for example is they offer really good levels of coverage you know, cover for the attackers. Because if you think about your example there that you gave earlier around, you know, there's a, some email migration app that was set up, highly privileged to migrate emails from an on-prem to a cloud system. That gets left in the environment, gets compromised. It's not going to look suspicious if you start seeing events where the app designed to migrate emails is accessing mailboxes, because that's exactly what it's designed to do. But the attackers can use that to their advantage and actually hide within the cover. And this is why you know, Midnight Blizzard, or as I tend to refer to them, APT29, we've seen them evolve a lot over the last five to 10 years. You know, They used to be deploying cozy Duke malware and phishing campaigns, but they're really laser focused now on identities, access, and really knowing the ins and outs of Azure and Office 365 far better than actually enterprises seem to know them. And they specialize in hunting down dormant accounts because it's a legitimate valid account. It's got forgotten levels of privilege.
1: Well, and, and also, I mean, you know, these are also the accounts where, you know, when people are focused, for example, doing something like an MFA project, right? Very focused on, on human accounts and so forth, right? And so another thing with these accounts, right, is that some of the kind of safeguards that are like MFA and other things that you might have applied, obviously, to your kind of human-related accounts aren't existing in this realm. So they're basically easier to manipulate, easier to take advantage of. You know, one, one of the things that, that uh, when we do the kind of you know unified discovery and visibility across this stuff that we always recommend is as we find some of these different machine accounts is not only profile and understand what is the typical behavior so we can alert you if, if they're being used in abnormal ways, right? Uh, or if privileges have changed. So you have that, um, w- whether it's the example of the uh, Microsoft 365, you know, uh, mi- migration account uh, that now is all of a sudden, you know, typically was used three years ago from some given IP space from some given service is now being used in an abnormal way. Um, But at the same time, also, you know, leveraging things like uh, conditional access policies and related, right? Where you you know more of like how this machine account should be accessed, when, from where, et cetera, uh, and being able to dial in a, a tighter policy around it, right? Which is another kind of like protective uh, measure beyond all the high level you know, change alerting and so forth and, and kind of auditing that's obviously critical.
0: Yeah, and even on the human side with, with MFA, one of the things that, again, APT29 pioneered 2022, I think we saw them first starting to do this, was abusing the fact that you could set up self-enrollment for accounts within Azure uh, Active Directory. So you log into an account, you've got 14 days to set up your MFA factor, otherwise your account's effectively restricted, and they'd find those dormant accounts that had never been set up in MFA. They'd crack the password through a password spray attack. They then add their own MFA device, and suddenly those conditional access policies that say, only allow access through the VPN if they have MFA enabled, suddenly that's a hurdle they can jump over just through password spray targeting. So that that just basic hygiene of accounts in your environment, then you've got the complexity of the service accounts that might not have even had those controls applied in the first place. All these things really make it very interesting uh, from an attacker on a defensive perspective there.
1: No, I mean, even something like like you're saying on the, you know, we, we see it all the time in, in uh, during assessments, right, where uh, companies are like, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we've rolled out MFA, right, but like, how do you actually know where where you successfully rolled out MFA? Where your gaps are if you don't have a consolidated, unified view of all identities, accounts, et cetera? Typically, when people answer the, oh yeah, yeah, yeah we rolled out MFA, right? It's it's the we enabled it at some level with whatever our our primary uh, identity provider might be, right? So so whether uh, uh, Entra or Okta or Ping or so forth. But there's a million and one ways uh, that there can be gaps to that, not only in those primary systems where MFA hasn't been uh, configured properly, um, but also just gaps like what happened with Microsoft, right, where it's it's missed for a variety of reasons. And then definitely to your point, right, like not all MFA is equal, right? Like uh, some MFA is, is, is good, uh, but there's definitely varying forms. And, you know, this is... Uh, We'll uh, uh we'll take a moment for our sponsors Fido Two. No, I'm kidding. We, they're not sponsors, but we uh we do we do strongly suggest Fido Two, uh where possible. Um, obviously it's much more phishing uh, uh resilient than uh, any of the other kind of factors out there, if you will. Um, but yeah, it is a, it, it's it's a very hard question if you're a CISO and you're asking your team, uh, have we successfully rolled out MFA right? If the answer is yeah, we did some configuration to enforce MFA at a high level in uh, Entra or or Okta, and that's the totality of the answer. That is not a complete picture, right? I think the the uh, the Microsoft breach obviously shows that, uh, but there's many other breaches, and especially when you get into terms of you know gaps where you can't even apply MFA in the way that you would think you would, uh, having that total understanding across your entire identity state becomes uh, really important and is uh, I think it's for us one of those things, it's always eye-opening when somebody uh, does an assessment with insights and they're like, oh yeah, I have MFA. And then we show them the report and we're like, here's all the ways that you don't actually have MFA, right? And it's uh, a little eye-opening when you look in totality. And again, that's the difference of the, we did the one checkbox, uh you know defender list item versus the attacker who's going to look across the totality of things because they're going to find whatever ends up working right well, i think
0: a great example of that came out of um some proof point publications this week so i think it was the 12th of february they released a blog talking about um a cloud account takeover campaign they've been tracking impacted dozens of microsoft azure environments globally attackers focusing on fairly senior individuals within organizations given delivering targeted phishing lures they had um malicious links embedded in documents, that basically redirected someone to a fake sign-in page for Office 365, for example. And this allowed an attacker to use account takeover techniques. They don't specify what it is, but I'm strongly thinking like Nginx, evil Nginx type thing of malicious proxy. They, you know, the user goes in, if they don't have MFA, put in username and password, that's then being compromised. If they have weak MFA and they push in a, you know, like a one-time password, the attacker might be able to um capture it, do a session hijack attack there, and then the attackers made extensive use of residential proxy networks to bypass conditional access policies. But one of the first actions they were doing was they were adding in their own factor of MFA. So they were exploiting the weak factor of MFA to add in their own factor, which is under their control. They've then compromised the account, and then they're able to persist their access and use that to access the the cloud applications. Those Office 365 things go into mailboxes, get the files, get the information out. And the main indicator of compromise was a Linux user agent that was picked out in the event logs. But for most organizations that have missed this, and it strikes me as, you know, very classic identity hygiene issues, um, you know, good old social engineering still at play, the latest sort of version of phishing campaigns. What would you say to people who are just thinking, you know, are we actually protected by these controls? How should we think about protecting our accounts better there?
1: Yeah, I think think in some sense, it's like, and I think that the the great uh, challenge with kind of identity security, securing privileges, et cetera, is, is I think some of the terms start to sound the same, right? It's like, oh, I have a, I have a threat detection solution, right? Like I, I have a SIM, right? It, it, it looks for some of these things. Uh, I have a, a vulnerability management, right? Like it, it it does some hygiene checks, right? Um And so I think some of the the terminology makes it hard because I I do think sometimes people have kind of a false understanding of some of the kind of, you know, traditional tools that they have, whether from like a threat or vulnerability management or related, uh, that is a a wildly different view from having a consolidated kind of focal point of identity as the first class thing that you're trying to protect, right? Uh, And really it's not even so much about the uh, the identities because, you know, two different identities uh it, it, they're kind of meaningless by themselves right it's what are all the privileges and the entitlements and so forth right and so i, I think the um uh you know w- when you look at the the kind of uh how to find some of these things um it, it's not so much you know if you if you take for example like traditional threat things call it sim call it xdr uh it, it's all flavors of the of the same uh, although people argue otherwise Uh, but it's all flavors of the same in the sense of, uh, uh, event data and, um, you know, event logs and so forth, obviously really, really important, really important to have centralized and so forth. Um, for, for the average people, a, they're not going to make sense of all the raw data, right? Um, and so how do you actually kind of normalize across things, but, but B, uh defending from what we're actually talking about takes a lot more than just event data right like it takes a deep deep understanding of the world and the contextual information is like some of the most critical stuff right because if you're just looking from like a pure event perspective you know yeah you'll you can see some some blatant you know uh something like a like a password spray attempt right bringing in like the context of, well, what are the identities? How are they actually configured? What's their different privilege level? If this identity uh, is successfully compromised, what is the graph of things that it eventually leads to, right? Like it just, it quickly gets uh, very, very complex, right? And so, you know, I think one of the things I've, I've seen with some of the, the uh, CISO types that are, that are kind of, you know, moving ahead of the curve, it's in the same way that the, the you know, me and you have talked before that the industry has kind of had, these major shifts of focal points and security, right? You know, we date ourselves going back, you know, the the 20 years where it was like, keep people out, you know, have a, uh, have good perimeter security. And then it's like, there's no perimeter. It's all about the end point. Um, you either have a, a focused view into your world that is identity and privilege centric in nature, or you're going to miss out, Right. Uh, and that—that's not to say that that you know replaces uh, or 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 competes in any way with what you might be doing from a, a traditional you know uh, threat and kind of posture uh, perspective. But the depth is what of what is needed is obviously um, you know very critical in these terms. So uh, that's 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 my rant on that. At least that's probably more than you were asking.
0: Well, no, no, that's perfect because your ran should actually, actually timely there because we reached out to um, some of the audience for some questions in advance of this, and one of the ones that came up was if Microsoft can't get this right, should the rest of us just give up and go back to being on-prem? Because that identity is now the front door, you know, that Office 365 login, the cloud is now often your front door of your business. Like you said, there's not the perimeter network thing that you used to think about. So what would you say to someone who's thinking, if Microsoft can't solve this, shall I just give up?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it's a it's an interesting question. I think, you know, you know, obviously for any large, uh, enterprise, obviously Microsoft being one, uh, you know, defending from, from all aspects of attack and kind of getting everything right is, is definitely difficult, you know, just to kind of, uh, be fair to them. Uh, you know, obviously I think, you know, I, I get some folks frustration that there's like, you know, uh, there's, there's things like this happening, but then they're also trying to, you know, maybe sell you the solution to it or whatnot. So I, I kind of get all that. Um, but I, but I do think, uh, um, the stuff that we're talking about here—it's it, really timeless, right? Like me and you have kind of referenced on previous podcasts that uh, something like the the uh, concept of least privilege, right, is this timeless concept going back to the '80s and and multics and and OSs that people probably aren't uh, familiar with at this point, right? And so the the reason that we always talk as a company in terms of at the end of the day, most breaches are made possible by compromising the right identity that has the right level of privilege and access, right? Um, and so you need to have some security that is thinking uh, and, and programs in place. Now I don't mean programs as far as like products, right? I mean, like how how, you, how your team, how your organization thinks, because products are just a tool in the tool bag, right? Like you either have kind of a focus thing around what are we doing about privileges? What are we doing about identities? How are we monitoring these things? How are we going deep or not? And so I, I, it's, it's, um, it's not solved by... Uh, on prem, I mean, we, we've seen that time and time again of uh, you know Active Directory's uh, its own world of uh, scary things. I, I think what is disheartening to some folks that I talk to in IT is that a lot of folks had like kind of a belief in the promise of like, all right, you know, Active Directory on prem in that kind of world and the million and one attacks that exist, uh, we're all going to get to the cloud and kind of manage the offerings and it's all going to magically be better and taken care of for us. And nothing could be further from the truth, right? Uh, There is certainly different types of attacks, different levels of attack surface and stuff uh, between, uh, say, on-prem Active Directory and something like Entra. uh, But the complexity these days of the entire identity estate uh, is is massive right and it uh is not something where you know you shift and it it uh is magically solved for right there's a lot of the risk there all these breaches that you that you've mentioned today uh are great examples of that you know and and especially for you know i think in in our world where we do have more customers that are are more focused on you know securing privilege securing access you know one of the things that um i think is really important and i think that these attacks show is that in order to actually truly protect privileged access, privileged accounts, you have to also understand and protect your privileged infrastructure. And you have to do that across the board in a unified way and understand the interplay of the identities, the infrastructure, et cetera. Because whether it's the misconfiguration in, in uh, ENTRA that eventually kind of brings the house down and leads to a privileged account being compromised, or whether it's the misconfiguration in your on-prem active directory, say, certificate services, Right. Uh, all of these things can, can lead to uh, compromised privilege, compromised identity. And so I, th- I think that's one of the big kind of educational missions that I know me and you are on, right, is making sure people think in terms of all this privileged identity infrastructure and what are you actually doing to uh, protect it in a focused way.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great answer. And George, certainly don't give up and go back to on-prem. You know, the industry is addressing these problems. We're all in this together there are things actually, and there's a lot of lessons we can learn from the the hygiene we've built on premise that, you know, the thing we used to say when clouds first coming along, that it's just someone else's computer. Like they're just, they have that thing and you're just running code on it. Just start to extend those practices out and think of the, the hygiene and the best practices you have and extend those out. Um, Mark, have you got time for just a couple more quick questions before we wrap this one? Let's do it. Okay, so uh, one person wants to know what are the most important uh, log sources to look at for identity types of attacks?
1: All of them All of them, and none of them. No, I mean, I, I think going back to what I was saying is that uh, too, too many times uh, folks do think of kind of uh, protecting identities in terms of like, get all my various logs that I need into a, a SIM, an XDR, or this or that, and, and that'll kind of give you everything you need. There is a wealth of context and information that simply doesn't exist in logs, like just f- full stop, right? So there's a lot you can do. Uh, there, there's a, there's a lot that you can't. So um, th- definitely, like anything, you know, you do want to make sure that you know for all your different kind of key identity systems that they are doing centralized logging and all the kind of standard ways that you would expect. Uh, but I, but I think the uh, uh, very important part that I would uh, make sure people understand is that you do need to think beyond the logs, right? Uh, especially because you know it's great to be able to find that right now you have a, a you know service principle being misused or some identity being abused, but it's even better to prevent that stuff, right? And the way you prevent that stuff doesn't come from event log data, right? And so get, getting the necessary data in a unified way across your entire identity state to make sure that you're doing the right hygiene and posture. That then hopefully not only limits the number of attacks that can get through, limits the amount of noise, limits the amount of of time that your team has to take triaging, uh, but also kind of up levels and makes you a harder target, right? Uh, Versus you've done nothing to kind of raise the bar as far as your overall posture of identity security, uh, and therefore you're a softer target. and, And yeah, there's gonna be a lot more happening from an event perspective, but not in the way that you would wish.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's the thing we've been talking about for far too long now of the, you know, the stitch in time, the proactive security. If if you're waiting to detect an attack in your environment, you know, there's probably a, a dozen other things you could have done to get proactively ahead of that, of removing that privilege, putting that, you know, high security MFA gate in place. The zero trust architecture approaches, lots of things you can do to slow and stop attack chains, breaking attack chains all the time. It's still important to be able to detect things when things go wrong. But if you just purely focus on detection, we end up in the world of, you know, EV, uh, sorry, AV and a lot of the detection solutions, which we've tried. And, and you know, they've come to a, a point where they they can't stop attacks any further. They can't do more than they, they currently do. So really important to balance those.
1: Yeah. And I think there's some, some terms out there that, uh, you know, it's interesting to see. Anybody who's been doing security a while where we, you know, we had the, the, the days of uh intrusion detection systems and it was like you know I'm gonna look at all the network traffic and I'm gonna d- detect the intrusion right not not help prevent it I'm just gonna detect it as it, as it's happening right uh, and then eventually we were like ah oh, you know maybe, maybe we should do uh protection right like maybe we should ch- try to uh, uh, prevent those uh network intrusions in the first place and it's kind of interesting to see in the uh, identity world you know where you have you know terms being thrown around like uh, identity threat detection and response right and it's like well, yeah, of course, like identity centric uh, threat detection and the ability to respond is important. But like what happened to the like fixing my environment to have less detections uh, because I'm not actually getting compromised. Right. And so we seemingly are kind of sidestepping some things as an industry, again, where we rush to the, uh, you know, kind of uh, Mm -hmm. uh, world of it just being a, a detection kind of threat problem versus like get the hygiene right. And so it's, probably the broken record I've been on for like 20, 30 years working in security of like, you got to do the eat your vegetables version of security, right? Control and manage your attack surface, limit it. And no different than how we've always thought about other aspects of of IT and security, you need to kind of holistically look at your identity estate and how do you control and manage that attack surface. Uh, And that is uh, equal, if not more important than just your ability to detect the threat, right? Because you're hopefully going to stop a lot of this stuff in the first place.
0: And speaking of broken records, I think you might have answered this last question about three rants already ago. But uh, the, the question is, if I've enabled MFA, are those accounts protected from phishing and compromise? No, no. Just, just, I'm sorry to break it to that person, but just no.
1: I know. I mean, there, there is a, yeah, no, there, uh, it's, it's good to always repeat though. Like, yeah, M- MFA, not, not a bad thing, obviously different. Uh, forms of uh, of MFA, uh, but yeah, there's uh, MFA bombing and a million other ways that uh, MFA is not enough, right? Uh, and, and we've seen that in some of these uh, uh, different attacks that you were highlighting. So uh, definitely a good thing, but you know, insert Fido2 rant or related uh, here. <laughs>
0: Well, that's all we have time for on this out of band edition of Adventures of Alice and Bob. If there are any more breaches you want us to dive into and go behind the breach and dive into the technical controls, the discussions, the proactive measures you can take to prevent these kind of attacks in your environment, feel free to reach out to us and let us know. Mark, I'm going to turn over to you for the final words. Any final words of wisdom or advice for the audience today?
1: yeah, I think the the one, and it's uh, I'm just gonna do it as a, a shameless plug. There's a lot of companies that you know we talked to and some of the questions that we had today where people just want to understand from an identity centric point of view, where do I stand in the world right now as far as what is my state? you know, what is my attack surface, uh, uh, also potentially, uh, what attacks are ongoing? Um, and so not not just for people that are uh, existing customers, customers of ours, but anybody that wants to get a free assessment uh you can sign up on our website identity security insights and we will give you an understanding and I, it's typically shocking and eye opening when you see the spectrum of from on-prem active directory to misconfigurations within azure entra octa etc right in a in a total view uh and uh you can take that data run with it never talk to us again fix what's there that's cool uh but i think getting uh uh that view into the world uh, of kind of an identity-centric security assessment is uh, uh, well worth the uh, 30 minutes it takes to set up. So shameless plug, although not shameless because I think it's uh, very valuable to a lot of folks and it's free.
0: That's great. Well, thank you very much. And thank you for joining us today on Adventures of Alice and Bob. Take care.